What's up, everyone? Tim Stoddard here. Welcome to the Copy Blogger Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We have a special episode this week. Unfortunately, Ethan and I were unable to sit down and record an episode. Ethan had a wedding, and I had a family trip in Portland, Oregon, uh, with my wife and my son to celebrate both of their birthdays. However, we want to keep the show going. We want to stay consistent. And so what I am doing is republishing a webinar that was presented by Nicholas Cole exclusively for Copyblogger Academy members. Nicholas Cole is one of the best online writers on the internet. He's phenomenal. Uh, if you want to check out some of his work, him and Dickie Bush have a cohort that they run together called Ship 30 for 30. And you can find that at ship3430.com. It's got raving reviews. It's really phenomenal. Uh, this is one of my favorite presentations we've had so far for Copyblogger Academy members. Uh, Nicholas Cole comes with just some really practical knowledge, a wealth, a wealth of experience and a ton of results to show that he is a professional. So I hope you enjoy this webinar. Thank you so much for listening and we'll talk to you next week. My guest today, Nicholas Cole. Cole, what's up, brother? What's up, man? I'm so psyched. This is the biggest live uh, presentation I've, I've ever done. This is going to be so cool. Yeah, this is uh, always a lot of fun. I'm actually uh, kind of surprised not to like undersell myself, but uh, really grateful for, for all of this. And Deborah, yes, I do play guitar. Um, I got all <laughs> too many of them. So let's not talk about my unhealthy guitar collection. Uh, Nicholas, I've been following your work for years now for the copy blogger community. Um, I'm sure many of them have read your work. You can't sign on to Medium basically without seeing some kind of stoic picture of Nicholas Cole and some <laughs> kind of article <laughs> on my timeline with perfect lighting and great hair looking like a model. Um, but nonetheless, you are a prime example of the power of the written word on the internet. Um, I always like highlighting your work because in today's day and age with so much um, in video and social and Twitter and followers, sometimes the written word gets a bad rep. But in my view, the writers always run the show. They're always the most valuable. They're always the ones that can write the best copy to sell products, sell services. The, the written word remains, in, in my view, the most important skill in uh, building an online brand, an online business. Um, and I think you're a perfect representation of that. So uh, we're going to allow you to do your presentation. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to talk about Ship 30 for 30, which is a really, really awesome cohort that you and Dickie got going on. And um, and we'll get to that to the end. So please, uh, I'm going to put my screen over to you, give you some control. And um, let's rock and roll. Everybody, Nicholas Cole. All right, everyone. First of all, this is the coolest thing ever. So thank you. I know it's a, it's a big deal, you know, to take the time out of your day to show up and do stuff like this. So thank you. Um, I'm going to give you all just a 30 second background so you know where the context of what I'm going to share with you is coming from. Uh, I graduated with a creative writing degree. Uh, all I've wanted to do is be a writer my whole life. And when I graduated college, all my teachers basically said, have fun being a barista and working on your novel to be. <laughs> uh, I was very dissatisfied with the answers that I was given as to how to actually use writing to build any sort of career for myself. 
And so I went out and figured it out. Uh, I experimented. I, I've been writing online for 10 years. Uh, I started when I was a teenager. I had one of the first big gaming blogs on the internet. Um, my whole journey and path has been all through just self-experimentation and not being married to any one thing. So what we're going to go over today is basically a handful of some of the most valuable writing, very actionable writing tips that I've learned for myself in terms of how to get readers to pay attention to you and how to keep their attention once once you have it. Uh, last year, I wrote and published a book called The Art and Business of Online Writing. This was the culmination of 10 years of experimentation. Uh, and it's all about how to capture and keep readers' attention. Um, and then just the quick, so you know, you know, I'm not just blowing smoke and that this is, you know, there's a method to the madness. Um, when I graduated college, I started writing on a website called Quora in 2015 and 2016. I was the number one most read writer on the entire platform out of 200 million users. I had millions and millions of views on my work there that led to a column with Inc magazine. I became out of, you know, 400, 500 plus columnists, one of their top 10 highest performing columnists. Just bringing in hundreds of thousands of page views for them every month. Uh, I wrote over 400 columns for them exclusively. From there, went on and built a ghostwriting company, basically taking all of these methods that I had learned to get millions of views on my own work and ghostwriting for founders, CEOs, Grammy winners, professional athletes, 300 plus of those. Um, built that company to several million in revenue uh, and then scaled it back about a year ago so I could get back to my own writing and things like that. So everything that I'm going to share with you, this is not, you know, I read it from somebody else and now I'm going to tell you about it. Like these are all things that I've learned in the trenches. I've written thousands and thousands and thousands of articles on the internet. I've ghostwritten thousands of articles. So this is 10,000 hours of experimentation crammed into 50 minutes. So uh, we'll talk about this at the end. Hey, Stacey, I see your question. It's called The Art and business of online writing. You can find it on Amazon. Um, the context of this is I'm going to run this kind of like how we run these office hours programs in this program that I created with another guy called Ship 30 for 30. It's a writing challenge. Uh, it helps writers get into the habit of writing every single day. I tell in my own story, my entire trajectory as a writer changed the moment I, I committed to writing every single day on the internet. In 2014, I challenged myself, I'm going to write one Quora answer every single day for a year. And a year later, I was the number one most read writer on the entire platform. So I am such a firm believer in building a daily writing habit. That's why we created this writing challenge. And part of being in this writing challenge group is that every Saturday we do these office hours, just like we're doing here. And in these office hours, we do these presentations about here are things that you can use in your own writing. Here are things that you can use to you know, become what's up, Dickie? That's so this is my my co-founder. Oh, he just hopped in. Uh, <laughs> um, what's up, so these are things that you can use in your own writing to immediately just see better results, to get more traction, to speak more intelligently to readers. So without further ado, let's just dive in. I, I really am big into getting into the content of it. Um, but this is the sort of stuff that you you can expect every Saturday in in these writing in this writing challenge group. So I'm going to get this going here, play slideshow and window, learn how to do this on Zoom. Okay, so what are we going to talk about today? What does it mean to be a successful writer online? Uh, everything that I'm sharing with you, this can be applied to everything from you're a writer on Medium and you want to know how to build your audience. Uh, you're a copywriter and you want to figure out how to get more people to pay attention to your site, your products, whatever it is. You write sales letters, every single type of writing 
operates on the same fundamental principles. And I put so much emphasis on these fundamentals because once you learn how the fundamentals work, the platform can change. Trends can change. Algorithms can change. Everything can change, but you will always succeed because you understand how the game is actually played. So that's why everything that I talk about is very root level. How do we act? How do we build the skill so that it can be translated into whatever other domain? So I like starting with this point of view. What does it actually mean to be a successful writer online? Writing online is a game. It is a, it is a game. And in many ways, it is a competition. And the competition is how do I get the attention instead of that attention being given to someone else? So whether we want to admit it or not, whether we want to, you know, acknowledge that writing is more than just an art, you know, you're not just staring out your window being inspired and, you know, wearing your chapeau and smoking your cigarette, whatever it is, you are in the game of capturing and keeping people's attention. So how do you do that? That's the big question, right? It's like, how do we actually make that happen? Hey there, it's Tim. And I need to take a moment to tell you about this show's sponsor. It's a product called Hype Fury. When I was able to speak to Yannick, uh, who is the CMO, one of the founding partners of Hype Fury, and he agreed to sponsor the show, I was so thrilled. And the reason is because I have personally used Hype Fury for the last three years, and it has allowed me to build my social media following and my personal brand to over 70,000 followers. I could not have done it without Hype Fury. And I, I really, really mean that. I use this product every day. And it's added so much to my business and to my life. So Hype Fury is a social media scheduling tool. It has three main features that I think separates it from every other tool. One, it, it allows you to quickly create content and schedule them. So it's a very nuanced feature, but it's so helpful. Basically, I, I sit down at my desk in the morning and I type out my tweet. I type out my LinkedIn post. And then all I do is I hit enter. And Hype Fury schedules it at the opportune time on Twitter and on LinkedIn. I don't have to think about it any more than that. All I have to do is sit down and create my tweets, create my posts, hit enter, and Hype Fury does all the work for me. Uh, second, Hype Fury makes it so that you can easily create threads. And threads have been the biggest value add for me in growing my following. So threads really help me grow my following on Twitter. And those threads format themselves into longer form LinkedIn posts on LinkedIn. It's actually kind of funny. I made a video about this not too long ago about how, yes, like you want to create threads on Twitter. You want to be a thread boy because I'd say like 80% of my growth on both Twitter and LinkedIn have been from threads and long form posts. And I wouldn't have been able to format any of this without using Hype Fury. Uh, and then third, Hype Fury is really good for keeping you inspired. So what it does is it, it shows you some of your most popular tweets and your most popular posts. And it, it basically gives you information. It gives you inspiration as to what your audience is looking for and what they most actively engage in. So you're never sitting at the computer thinking, oh man, like, what am I going to say today? What, you know, what kind of content am I going to create today? It's constantly feeding you new ideas, new inspiration, and it allows you to, to quickly create this content so that you can continuously get yourself out there, continuously build your brand, and most importantly, turn that social media following into newsletter subscribers. So through Hype Fury, I've been able to grow my personal email list. 
timstods.com to over 30,000 followers. That's turned into a business within itself. It's really helped me grow the copy blogger newsletter. We're at 110,000 followers right now. A whole lot of that is, is also because of Hype Fury. So please, this is a product that I use every single day. I personally vouch for it. You can check it out at hypefury.com. H-Y-P-E-F-U-R-Y.com. If you have any problems with it, you can send me a DM on Twitter and I'm sure I can convince you as to why it will add value to your life. So hypefury.com. Thank you so much to Hype Fury for sponsoring the show. And let's get back to the episode. So this was probably one of the biggest lessons that I learned writing on Quora. And what most people do, how most people think about writing is they sit in their room and they go, I'm going to come up with an idea. I come up with it inside myself. I'm going to write it. I'm going to spend time on it. And then I'm going to go bring that to people. That's where then you hear, you know, well, how should I market my writing? How should I market my book? How should I market my product? Whatever it is. I've learned that that is the opposite. That is not what you want to do. What most the, the reason why this is a mistake is because when people think of an idea, they're thinking of it in a vacuum. And in reality, the idea that you're writing, it's not every idea is not does not have equal value, right? You can't just create something and then go, how do I get this into the hands of a million people? You actually need to start with the end in mind and you need to start with the question. And what Quora taught me, because Quora is a question answer platform, what Quora taught me is that the size of the question is what dictates the size of the audience. So what that means is that if I write, if I spend a bunch of time writing a super niche topic, and then my expectations are that it's going to go and become this massive mainstream viral hit, I'm setting myself up for failure. So let me give you an example. If I wake up and I go, I want to write about uh, niche biotech trends happening specifically in in you know technology pharma, but I want 10 million people to read it. Well, that's kind of flawed because are there 10 million people that wake up every morning going, I'm really curious what's happening, you know, with technology trends in biotech and pharmaceuticals? Maybe there are, but that is not a, a common question. Right? So you're starting with a fundamentally smaller audience because your question is only relevant to a certain number of people. Where you see topics really take off or where you see these viral hits emerge is when people answer universal questions. They're answering these massive questions that's anything from how do I become happier or how do I make more money or how do I find fulfillment in my career or whatever it is. So part of the name of the game is understanding that you're starting with the end in mind and yet finding a way to make the broad relevant to the niche. So if your niche is, so in my case, if I'm writing about online writing, it's how do I make that niche relevant to wider groups of people or larger questions so that I can start to expand the net or the amount of people that I can reach. So for example, if I take a universal topic like money, everyone wants to read about money in some capacity, right? Or everyone wants to read about life advice. And I go, I'm going to connect that to online writing. Well, I can write something that's, you know, here's how to make more money in your career. For example, here's how I did that with online writing. Or here are ways to improve yourself or build better habits or whatever it is. For example, here's how I do that on a day-to-day -day basis as a writer. So 
that's that's the push pull that you're navigating. And what most people do, the mistake is that they go, I'm only going to write about something super small, but my expectations are going to be massive. And it just doesn't work that way. So you're either push pulling on how do I connect the niche to the broad, or you're making this trade-off where you understand if I'm going to write about something niche, my measure for success is not views, period. You cannot write about something niche and expect your measure for success to be views because your goal, you are not writing for the masses. You're writing for a very specific group of people. So if that is your goal, if you go, I really want to write about something super niche because this is my business or this is my area of expertise, your, your measure for success is actually engagement. And so the reason that I say that is because I've written articles that have gotten one, five, 10 plus million views. But what happens is you reach 10 million people, but then the engagement is like, that was a great article. You know, like it doesn't really translate into anything for you. Mean, meanwhile, if I write about something super niche, maybe related to my business, if I write about ghostwriting, if I write about online writing, whatever it is, I'm not going to get a million views on that article. But that's okay because then I'm going to get 10 times more engagement with that specific group of people. And that's my measure for success. So I'm starting with this as the framing because. I feel like one of the biggest things that writers run into is they walk into the game with this huge expectation of like, why aren't million pe- millions of people reading my writing? But they're not understanding the context of where they're writing and why it matters. So we step into the game. We're gonna move, we're gonna move quickly because we got a lot of a lot to pack in here. So just there's there's gonna be, you know, you can always watch the recording and go back, but we're gonna fly through. So headlines. Most writers, this was one of the biggest mistake that, mistakes that I made early on. Most writers think the headline is like the bow on the present. They think of it as the afterthought. And they go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write all of this stuff. And then at the very end, I'm going to come up with like a clever thing that I put on the top of it. And then that's my headline. And I learned this from one of my, one of my good friends here in LA. His name's Craig Clemens, one of the most successful sales copywriters on the planet. And he was the one who taught me a couple of years ago that the headline is actually the most important part. The headline is the North Star. The North Star is your entire piece, your entire article, your entire argument, your entire everything should be in the headline. The reader should know exactly what the thing is before they even click on it. And so what this is called is this is called the curiosity gap. So What your headline needs to do is before the reader clicks to read whatever it is that you've written, article, blog post, Twitter thread, sales letter, YouTube video, whatever it is, the headline needs to tell the reader what it's about, who it's for, how they should feel about whatever you're talking about. And then most importantly, this is the piece that everyone forgets, is what's the outcome? What do I get? as a reader in exchange for reading the thing. So you, when you see people who write headlines like three really great ideas for the future, you know, you're like, okay, I don't, I don't know what this is about, really. I don't know what type of ideas. I don't know where this is going. I don't know how I should feel about it. But most importantly, they don't know the outcome. They're like, okay, I don't care how good these ideas are, but what do I as the reader get for giving you the 30 seconds or the two minutes or the five minutes for reading this. And this is what writers don't understand is that everything you write 
in some sense is a product. Think of it like a product. And every time you write something, you are asking the reader, would you like to pay for my product with your attention? That's, that's what you're asking. So in order to get people to pay with their attention to read your work, you need to tell them what's in it for them. So in this case, here's an example of a headline, nine reasons writers experience writer's block. The outcome, even though it's a little buried, the outcome is saying, by the time you finish reading this, you're going to know why, as a writer, you experience writer's block. And since that's a pain point, since every writer wants to know why they feel that, they go, oh, if I give you 30 seconds of my life, in return, I will understand why I'm experiencing writer's block, whatever that is. And so there's a couple pieces happening here, and I want to go through them piece by piece, because once you understand them, you'll see them everywhere. So one is the how many. So every piece, even if, if there's no number in front, if there's no listicle, the piece is basically saying there's one. There's one argument. There's one main point. There's one main idea. This is the thing that we're talking about. And then if there's a number, you're saying, okay, there's two things we're talking about, or there's nine things, or there's 37 things, whatever. So the first is how many? What, what, are, what are we juggling here? The second is what is it? Are we talking about reasons? Are we talking about mistakes? Are we talking about lessons? Are we talking about habits? Are we talking about mindsets? Are we talking about things on your grocery list? Like, what is the actual thing that we're talking about? Third is who. So, this is where if you really want to get specific with it, just name the audience, name the person that you want to talk to. Nine reasons writers, nine reasons project managers, nine reasons money managers, nine reasons CEOs. Like you're naming the audience in the headline so that when that person sees it, they go, This is for me. You're writing this for me. I know I'm in the right place. Super undervalued. People don't do this enough. Just name the audience in the headline. Fourth is how do I feel about this? Should I walk into this? feeling like this is going to be optimistic? Am I, going to, am I going to feel relief? Or am I walking into this and I'm going to be like, oh, I'm going to finally have my feelings validated and my argument right, and this is going to get me fired up? You know, One of the problems that people, people have with their headlines is they don't tell the reader how they should feel about the thing. It's like, do you want me to be on your side? Do you want me to not be on your side? Are, are we in agreement? Or do we have a common enemy? So you need to tell them how are we feeling about this subject. And then the outcome. The outcome, and you can push this so far. So here the outcome's a little buried because it's saying, okay, hey, you know that having writer's block is a problem. If you read this, you will learn why it's a problem. Thus, your problem will be solved. But you can push this even further by saying nine reasons writers experience writer's block, and then in parentheses, and why they're unsuccessful as a result, or why they never publish their first novel, or why whatever. You can really dig into that that problem and that outcome more, which then tells the reader, hey, if I read this thing, this really specific outcome is going to be solved for me, which is what every reader wants. So again, you have to always be thinking, what am I giving the reader? What, what gift are they getting in return for paying with their attention? So here's another one. This one's a little more advanced, but the curiosity gap is still here. So how many, the only, so we're just talking about one, you know, there's the only argument. What is it? It's an argument, okay? Who is it for? It's for writers. How are we feeling? Have against, we can, we, we feel like, hey, okay, this might, this is going to be a more controversial piece, all right? I can kind of see the common enemy here. And then the outcome here is, yeah, it could be pushed a little bit further. I know that the outcome 
is I'm going to learn why writers like or don't like SEO. But again, what can we put even further after that? You know, you can say the only argument writers have against SEO parentheses and why none of them get any views on their blog as a result. So you can always think, how, do, how am I pushing this outcome or promise further and further to resonate with the reader? The other piece of this that's worth talking about is what, what this curiosity gap is doing, and I'll, I'll show you here an example, is that if we draw a line down the middle, what you're doing is you're telling the reader, this is the hero's journey. You're saying you're starting here, how many, what, and who. And then if you make it to the other side, here's what you're going to get in return. And what if, if you look at certain headlines and you can just kind of tell that it's not a great headline, but you don't really know why, the reason is because the headline only has one or two of these. It, it either has the beginning or it has the end, but because they don't have both, you're kind of like, eh, I don't know. I don't know what's in it for me. And so by being conscious of realizing that you have to give the whole gap to the reader, you, you don't want to give them the answer, but you want to give them the gap. So you say you're starting here. The middle is inside the article. I'm not giving that to you. That's the answer. And here's the ending. Then the reader goes, I want to go on that journey. But if you don't give them both sides, then you're basically just saying, we're going north, but I'm not telling you where we're ending up. Or you're saying, we ended up north, but I don't know how we got here. And so one of the big, big, big mistakes that writers make in their headlines is they don't, there's no gap. The different the the other side of this is if you were to say the answer in the headline, if you were to fill in the bridge, then the reader would go, I read the piece, I don't need to click on it. And I'm sure everyone here has done this when you're scrolling through your feed and you see a news like a news headline, and they give you the answer in the headline, you go, well, thanks. Now I don't need to read the article. And that's a problem. So if if this headline said the only argument writers have against SEO is lack of viewership, for example, well, then the reader would go, thanks, you gave me the answer. Now I don't need to click and read it. So a big part of getting readers into the piece is you have to give them the gap, but you don't give them the answer. And, and this is where like the, the misunderstanding of this is people go, oh, well, then that's clickbait. That's not clickbait. If you go read any major publication, pay attention to the next time you get a push notification on your phone from CNN, New York Times, whatever. They all use curiosity gaps. You know, you'll get a, a push notification from CNN that's like, you know, smartphone usage is on the rise. But did you know XYZ? And then you sit there and you're like, oh, well, you gave me the gap. Now I got to click to find out. And so every every publication, every great writer on the internet does this. It's just a matter of what promise are you making to the reader? And then if you deliver on that promise, it's not clickbait. It's only clickbait when you don't deliver on the promise. Then the reader goes, you tricked me. You gave me a promise. You gave me this gap. You told me we were going to, going to go on a journey. And then I I went on the journey. And then it turns out that the journey was not what you advertised. And that's where readers get upset. So this is not clickbait. This is not like a trick. This is how you pique people's curiosity. And then if you write a really strong headline, you better spend the time to make sure that the piece is really valuable. So here's another really tiny one. I love like really compressed headlines like this because you can still see the pieces working. Times parents fail. If, you're, if you want to be a more avant-garde writer, right? And you you want to come off a little bit different. 
you can compress the whole curiosity gap into two or three words. And here you're saying how many, you're saying who it is, and then you're saying the outcome. Here's what you get. You're gonna by the end of this, you're gonna learn the times parents fail. And that is what makes it interesting. But if you were to remove one of these pieces, it kind of it makes the reader be like, I don't really know what's in it for me. I don't really know what this is about. So I, thus, I'm not going to click. And if you can't solve that in the reader's mind in less than two seconds, they're they're gone. So this is the name of the game, and the headline should take the majority of your time because the headline is is the journey you're going to take them on. And so you need to spend the time to think what am I really going to tell them? What am I really showing to the reader? And then once you have clarity on that, you go, now I know what to write about. But if you just write and then you try and put a headline on top, you don't, a lot of times it doesn't match up or you, or the promise that you make in the piece isn't really then the promise that goes with the headline and it's disjointed. And that's where readers' expectations fall. So start with the headline and then go from there. Here's another, you know, I'm sure most people are familiar with the New York Times bestselling book, Atomic Habits. If this book was just called Great Habits, no, it would not be the same. The word atomic changes the way that you perceive the word habits. It's, it means small but powerful. You know, that in itself is a journey, small but powerful habits. And then the, the subtitle is the, it's the outcome. It's an easy and proven way to build good habits and break bad ones. Boom. Okay. That's the answer. That's what I get in return for buying the book and reading it. And this is what, when people look at titles or subtitles, they just settle for language that's like, that, that's interesting, or that's clever, or that's unique, or that's funny. But that isn't really what makes a title work. What makes a title work is clarity. The clearer you are about the promise that you're making to the reader, the clearer you are about saying, this is what you get in exchange for reading this, the more the reader goes, either this is for me or it's not for me, which then goes back to the question, and the more specific you are about what question you're answering, the more likely a reader is to go, this is for me or this isn't for me. So this whole game is all about how do you get out of the middle? The middle being like, maybe, maybe I'll read it, maybe I don't. And what you're going for is you want polarity. You want, this is absolutely for me or this is absolutely not for me. Not in a bad way, but in, in, a, in a clarity sense. You know, it's like if you read a headline that says, these are the best ways that software project managers do X. If I'm not a software project manager, then I go, this isn't for me, and I move on. And if I am a software project manager, then I go, oh, I'm that. I might be interested in reading that. So that's you're always going for how do you separate that gap more and more. You do not want to be in the middle. You do not want to be vague. You do not want to be, oh, this kind of works for everyone. No, don't be for everyone. Answer big questions, but be specific about who is going to read it. Who is it for and what are they going to get in return? So here's some proven headline formats. You'll notice these everywhere. Uh, these are very common. So I've created a list uh, and I always come back to these for myself. Feel free to take a screenshot of this if you want. Um, but here's all these different types of categories and then a sample headline underneath it. But things like big numbers, you know, anytime you see something like 50,000 people just did this, you know, or 237 Ikea stores just closed. Here's why, you know, there's something about a big number that goes, oh, this is an outlier. I want to know why this happened. Dollar signs, you know, this NBA player just signed a $327 million contract, the most in history. Here's why that matters. You know, you go, 
oh, I'm not even a huge sports fan, but like, oh, that's interesting. Uh, maybe I'll read that. Credible names. This is where you see celebrities, influencers, you know, whatever it is. Um, this just happened. So having some sort of urgency and going, okay, this, ju- this just happened right now, you know, starting today, like anytime there's language that gives that sense of urgency, a reader goes, okay, well, if I'm going to read something today, I might as well read something that's urgent or relevant to my life right now. Question answer. I love this format where you're literally asking a question in the headline and then hinting at the answer. So can't be productive in the office. Try organizing your calendar like this. You're not giving them the answer. You're not giving them the middle. You're showing them this is where you're starting. Your problem can't be productive in the office. The solution's over here. Try this thing. If you click and you go on this journey, this is where you're going to end up. The success story, you know, hero's journey started with nothing, ended up with everything. Anytime you can weave that in is great. Things that shouldn't go together. This is one of my favorites, you know, seven things KFC and Miley Cyrus have in common. Obviously, that's an outlandish example, but you can do things that are more specific to your industry. You know, doing things like if you write about psychology or meditation, you know, you can be like, why this one way of approaching meditation that involves energy drinks is actually more effective than everything else. You're like, what? Meditation and energy drinks? That's really weird. But that that question that the reader has to ask themselves is what grabs their attention. So all of this, all of the headline stuff is about grabbing their attention And then once you've grabbed their attention, then we get into, all right, let's get into the real art of writing. And for context, I studied literature. You know, I studied the Russian authors, American authors. I'm, I'm a diehard, like true literature person. I'm not sitting here being like trick readers into getting their attention on the internet. This is just, these are the effective ways of hooking their attention with headlines. And then once you get them into the writing, give them the art, give them substance, give them depth, give them things that really matter. But the internet's a different game. So that's why we're talking about these rules. Um, for the industry, anytime, you know, same thing you talk about naming the audience, you know, you're saying this is for writers, this is for project managers, whatever it is. You can also do the same thing with industry. This is for small business owners. You know, this is for high growth startups, whatever it is. By naming it, that type of audience goes, this is for me. Topic within the topic. I love doing things with, with parentheses. It's, it's about this, but it's also about this. Um, that's really helpful. And then X number, anytime, you know, 13 ways, seven reasons, uh, you know, that again in itself is that's not clickbait. That's a really effective form and format. And the more that you can use that, but put in depth and put in really great content into that, the the structure of it works. So it's not that the structure is broken. It's just the structure got obliterated by BuzzFeed and articles about, you know, Britney Spears bikinis and whatever it is. So just use the structure, but for your own content, whatever it is that you want to talk about. Okay. So we grabbed their attention. Now we, we're going to get them to fall into the piece, the piece of writing, whatever that thing is. There's three components to everything that you write. You have an introduction, you have a conclusion, and then you have your main points in the middle. Almost every writer puts a disproportionate amount of energy into the introduction and the conclusion, which is weird. They want to have this big, 
like almost like they're walking up to a podium, you know, and they're giving this big speech and, and they're like, this is my grand introduction and you should know why what I'm about to explain to you is so incredibly important. And they just go on and on and on. And what they don't realize is in doing that, by the time the reader gets halfway through the introduction, they go, you're taking too long and they leave. And then the same thing with the conclusion, if the reader gets through the intro and then starts getting into the main points, they can visually see usually where the main points are ending and where there's this big conclusion. And if there's a big conclusion, the moment that the reader gets to the top, they go, ah, you're just going to repeat everything that you just said. So I'm out. And so what I've learned writing online for so long is that the intro and the conclusion are actually really not that important. You need a couple things in the intro, which we'll go through here in just a second. But aside from these few things, you your intro could literally be two sentences and you could be done. Because what the headline is telling the reader is the headline is making a promise that's relevant to the main points. That's that's why the reader goes. You're saying, hey, I'm going to give you this information. They're there for the information. They're not there for you to lead into the information. They're not there for you to talk about how great the information was that you just gave them. They're there for the thing itself. So anything that is not relevant to the thing itself is a waste of time. And that's it's a very polarizing way of looking at online writing. But you have to think when everyone's attention span is one and a half seconds, people read differently on the internet than they do sitting down reading a book or whatever it is. So in your intro, what you want to establish for the reader, all you need to do is establish these three things. If this takes you one or two sentences, if this takes you a paragraph, if this takes you three paragraphs, just accomplish these three things and then see how much you can compress it. And you want to get it down to a small amount of space as possible. So all you have to do is answer, what is this about? So re restate, hey, you saw this headline, you clicked on it, just let them know they're in the right place. Is this for me? Again, hey, yeah, you're this type of reader, you're in the right place, just want you to know this is, this is the journey we're going on. And then most importantly, what are you promising? Just It's the same thing as the headline, just what are you recapping? Where are we about to go? So the simplest way of doing this is saying, this is where we're starting. And by the end of this piece, this is where you're going to end up. And that is all your intro needs to be. You can accomplish that in a single paragraph. So the mistake that writers make here is thinking, I need to go through this grand introduction when in reality, all the reader needs to know is that they're in the right place and that the, the promise that you made them in the headline is going to be delivered on. That's it. Once you do that, you get into the main points. The main points are why the reader chose to click in the first place. So all of your effort, all of your emphasis, all of your focus, everything needs to be on how do I make these main points as valuable as possible. And the way that you do that is in each one of the sections, whether it's a list, whether it's you know subheads separating different points, whatever it is, the reader is constantly asking themselves three questions. One, are you delivering on the promise? So they, they know the headline. They know the promise that they walked in with. And they're asking themselves, are you still keeping that promise? Are you really giving me what you said you were going to give me? Are you being specific? Are you giving me actionable things that I can use? Or are you being vague? And are you kind of dancing around it? And are you saying the same thing as everybody else? That's the question that's going on in the reader's head. So you need to, in every every sentence, every section, everything, you need to ask yourself as you're writing it, how effectively am I delivering on the promise I made to the reader? And I should be I should be delivering on that promise in such a valuable way that then the reader goes, 
not only is this awesome, but I want to bookmark this. I want to send this to someone else. I want to comment on it, like whatever it is, they're asking how valuable is it to them. The second thing, which is both points two and three here, is that writers don't realize that readers do not read first. What readers do on the internet is that they skim. We all do it. We all know we do it. When you open a piece, an article, Twitter thread, whatever, the first thing that you do is you play with your thumb a little bit and you just kind of get a sense of what you've just stepped into. You get a sense of, are, are there subheads that you can skim? You get a sense for how long is it? You get a sense for how big are the paragraphs? You get a sense for what's the flow? Do I feel like this is going to be easy to read or is this going to be hard to read? And so what you want to do, so much of success in writing on the internet is about visually structuring your writing in a way that is that does not feel taxing to the reader. You want them to look at it visually and go, you're giving me subheads that I can skim, which is that third point here. You know, you're alternating single sentences with paragraphs. I get a little break in there, you know, because if a reader steps into a piece and there's no subheads and every paragraph is this big block of text, they're going to do one swipe with their thumb and go, this goes on for three minutes, done, not reading it. And that's what readers do. Whereas if you make it visually pleasing, if you use subheads to separate thoughts, if you alternate sentence length, if you do things like that, the reader is going to go, okay, I skimmed it. I skimmed the subheads. I like what I'm seeing. Now I'm going to go back to the beginning or now I'm going to dig into each one of these sections and I'm actually going to read it. So it has to be written for skimming first. And then if you pass the skim test, the reader goes, now I'm going to read it. And this is one of those brutal truths that no, nobody really wants to admit, no one wants to talk about, but that's how the game works. We will get into how to actually do that here in a second. The third part, we're flying here, let's keep it going. The art of writing conclusions, okay? I have a rule that I've come up with for myself. If you've delivered on the promise, there's no need to say anything else. If your intro told the reader where they were going to go, and then in the main points, you took them there. The conclusion is immaterial. The reader's done. You're not adding anything new. All you're doing is repeating what you've already done, and it's a waste of time. So what I do, throw them off the cliff. You're done. If you've delivered on the main points, and say it's an eight, eight mistakes, whatever article, or it's a, I'm going to present to you these three ideas. When you get to that eighth mistake and you're finished explaining it, do not feel like you need to put a big fancy bow on it. You do not need to go into three more paragraphs of all in all, that's why when people do this, you don't need to do that because the reader has already gotten the value that they came for. So when you finish that eighth point, if you want to put a single sentence just to end on a nice chord, sure, but just push them off the cliff. And what this does is it makes the reader go, wow, not only did you deliver on your promise with this piece, but you didn't waste my time. And actually, as a result, by not wasting my time at the end, I'm now even more curious to read more of your stuff. So now I finish that eighth point and I'm going to hit back and I'm going to click on another one of your articles. And this is something that I get a lot of feedback on on my own writing is that writers and readers will tell me once they get dis once they discover my writing, they read one piece. And then because so many of them have cliffs in it, I, I just I throw them off the cliff and you're on to the next one. They say, I, I started reading one of your articles and I went down a rabbit hole and I found myself reading them for the next four hours. And so what you're doing is you're kind of creating the scenario where the moment a reader finishes reading one, 
their curiosity is still kind of heightened and they go, well, that was really great. What else does this person have? And that's what you want. Whereas if you put so much emphasis on the conclusion, the writer then goes, well, that was really great. And I went on that journey and thanks for all that. The conclusion didn't really add that much. And um, I guess I'm done here. And then they're kind of gone because they they feel in themselves this sense of resolution. So in a weird way, you almost don't want the the reader to have that big sense of resolution because you want them to just go, this was so valuable. What else have you done? What else have you written? That's what keeps them then going through your library, which is a whole other topic for another time. Okay. So now in the writing, how do you actually do this? You get their attention, you hook it. Now, how do you keep it? So this is one of the most effective writing principles just ever. Like it is so wild to me. Once I made this conscious for myself, this was I just created this for myself. It's just a mental model that I use. It is it is so incredibly simple and yet it achieves everything that you want it to achieve. This is a one three one. Call it the one three one model. And we have different ones here. We could do one five one, you know, we could do one four one. We could and then there's a whole bunch of these. I have a bunch of them in my book, Art and Business of Online Writing. We drill through dozens and dozens of these and ship 30 for 30. But what this is, is all you're saying is you're saying I'm opening this section with one sentence. I'm putting three sentences or three thoughts in this middle paragraph. And then I'm ending on the other side with one sentence. Now, this is an example of something that I wrote. There's a few little nuances in here. Like this is actually four sentences, but in here, because of these M dashes, it's kind of, kind of treating it as one thought. And this is one long sentence. So visually, it would actually look better if there's one small sentence and one small sentence. And what this does is it basically makes the reader feel like the moment they start reading, they've fallen into momentum. So if you ever notice, when you click on a piece or you click on, I mean, anything, blog post, long essay, news article, whatever it is, when you click on an article and the very first thing that you see is a seven sentence paragraph, you're mentally overwhelmed. That's just where we're at in the world at this point. You're mentally overwhelmed and you go, this is too long. I don't want to read this. This is taxing. And yet what's interesting if is if you take that same exact content and all you do is you go to the first sentence and then hit return. And so you're just opening with one strong sentence. It changes the ability for the reader to fall into the piece. Because when you open with one, one very clear sentence and then after another paragraph, you have another very clear sentence, it makes the reader feel like they've already started reading. So why not continue? And that's what you want. You want them to fall into the writing. So how you do that is if you click on this, by the time the thought even crosses your mind, should I read this or not? Your eyes have already read the sentence, life is all about perspective. And then because you've already read that, somewhere you think to yourself, well, I've already read that one, so I might as well see where this is going. And then because of the rhythm of it, and because this then middle paragraph is three, four, five sentences, don't do more than five, six, seven sentences, way too much. I like anywhere from three, four, five sentences in this middle section. It's easy enough that the reader can get through where then they go, wow, I'm starting to make some real progress. And then when you reward them again with one more single sentence, the reader's like, well, I just flew through the whole intro. I might as well go into the main points. And so this is the rhythm and cadence that you want to give readers. You want to, you want to make them feel like they're crossing these checkpoints where then the reader goes, oh, wow, I'm flying through this thing. 
So again, one of the things that feedback I get on my own writing is readers will tell me, once I start reading one of your articles, I can't stop. And this is one of the big mechanisms of how is because by alternating 131, 131, 131 all the way down, you're constantly rewarding the reader little bit by little bit. And so they're just flying through the piece. Same thing here if you know works with 151. You open with one strong sentence, you close with one strong sentence, and you have your five sentences in the middle. Even visually, this just looks, it looks manageable. Whereas if you were to combine all of this into one big opening paragraph, engagement would just fall off a cliff, not in a good way, because the reader would go, this is overwhelming. I don't want to take the time to read all this. So here's how then you can take this. You could literally do this all the way down for an entire article. You could do this all the way through for an entire book, and the reader would probably not realize what was happening, and they would just go, wow, this is this is so well-written. This is so well-organized. So here, one sentence, three sentences, one sentence, one sentence, three sentences, one sentence. And so visually, when the reader looks at this, they they just think to themselves like, wow, this is so manageable. I don't mind reading this. But if you were to just format this differently, the reader then it starts feeling taxing. Readers don't like that. You want to make it easy. Here's another one, another newsletter that, that I have called Category Pirates. Look at how small these sentences are on both sides. This makes it feel so easy to skim. It makes it feel so easy to dive into. And so you're packing a lot of value into these middle paragraphs. And these small sentences are these connection pieces between. So it's like, hey, just get through this little connection piece. Okay, let's dig in. Oh, little connection piece. Okay, let's dig in. And that's what gives the reader this feeling of momentum. I'm trying to be conscious of time here, so we're going to keep flying. Another great rule of thumb, whatever your number of main points are here, the way that I like to think about it is that the more points you're making, so especially in a list, you know, if you're doing 37 things, you know, whatever it is, the less real estate you should give to the description of each one. So if you're writing a piece that's like three main ideas, well, then you can give each one of those ideas a good amount of description because roughly, you know, you're aiming for, okay, I want this to be a thousand words on 800 words, 1200 words, whatever that sweet spot is for articles on the internet. But if you go, I want to cram 30 life lessons into a 1,200 word article, you're not going to be able to give that much real estate to each point. So in order to do that, you know, what most writers do is they just start down the path and they just go, you know what, I have 30 points I want to make and I'm just going to give each one however many ideas come to mind and however long it ends up, it ends up whatever. I like thinking about it more going, what's the total reading experience that I want the, the reader to have? I want this to be a thousand word article or I want this to be a 3000 word article. Okay, well then I have a fixed amount of space. And so as many main points as I'm trying to make, it means the more points I'm making, the less space I have for each one. So this is an example of a piece where I had you know 30 main points or whatever it was. And you notice I'm only giving each one like a sentence or two. And the reason that works is because the reader is there for the main points. That's the value of the piece. So if the value of the piece is quite literally the thing that you're listing out, then you don't need to go on and on about each one of the things. They're literally only there for the subheads. So this is it. I like keeping this in mind where the more you have, the less description that you need. Whereas the less you have, the more description that you need. Which leads us into big concept here. 
what I like to call the rate of revelation. So the rate of revelation, kind of in going in line with the main points idea, is how quickly you're revealing new information to the reader. So a really slow rate of revelation would be, so if we read this out loud, you can kind of hear it. When it comes to building a daily writing habit, the hardest thing for most writers is remembering the importance of just sitting down and writing. It can be difficult to get yourself to write. We already said that. But that's part of the name of the game. Kind of already said that. And in moments you can't write, you have to remember that all writers go through this. Already said that. It's just part of the craft. Already said that. So after this first sentence, everything else after it is just reinforcing the thing that you already said. Yes, you're using different words. Yes, maybe there's a nuance here or there. But you have to be kind of critically honest with yourself and ask, am I really adding something new to the piece? Or am I just in a different way repeating what I've already said? Especially with online writing, repetition in terms of repeating ideas is really bad. It The reader is so impatient that if you're not constantly revealing new information, they go, you're wasting my time. So here's an example of what that looks like. A really fast rate of revelation goes, when it comes to building a daily writing habit, there are three things that usually get in a writer's way. Oh, we can feel the momentum building. We know, okay, you're, you're going to tell me some three some things. You're going to tell me three things here. First, they over-edit. Let's keep going. Second, they talk themselves out of the idea. Quick little example. This will never work. I'm better off just doing laundry. And third, their laptop runs out of battery at the coffee shop. This happens more often than you might think. So even though that's just a single paragraph, you have to really look at what's happening. And what's happening is that new information is being revealed. Every single sentence is a new idea. Whereas in this, after the first sentence, every every sentence that follows is reinforcing an old idea. And so the name of the game is how do I write in a way that I am always revealing new information opposed to reinforcing old information? And once this mental model clicks, you will see it everywhere. You will notice how often you read pieces that give an idea and then spend seven paragraphs reinforcing that idea without revealing anything new. And that's what makes it boring. That's what makes you go, I don't I'm not getting anything from this. So you always, especially on the internet, you want to increase your rate of revelation as much as possible. And then finally, it's power hour here, is how do you then take what you've written and then move readers into something else that you want them to read? So this is probably one of the biggest things. People have conflicting and varying opinions on this. My personal opinion is that you have to trust the reader. There's, there are, you know, there's a time and place for when you need to hard sell the reader, but nine times out of 10, if the, if you've provided the reader with what you said that they were, you were going to provide them with, if you kept your promise, they are going to be looking for ways to extend the relationship. Whereas if you don't deliver on the promise, that's where writers or content marketers or whatever, that's where they feel the need to oversell the reader. So the way that you do this is you weave the CTA. It's like a, it's like a humble brag. It's a subtle flex. You weave it into the writing. So here, this is another newsletter that I have. So you say, as we have written about in other category pirates letters, and then you move on with the content. There's a business case to be made for becoming a category creator. So here, in this sense, you're subconsciously telling the reader, hey, by the way, we got a lot more of this stuff over here if you want it. And you have to trust that the reader, if they're getting the value that you're 
saying you're giving them, you have to trust that they're going to read that and go, you have other letters? Hell yeah. I really want to read those. I want to go check them out. But what the mistake that writers make is they don't think enough. How do I actually write things that are specific to the reader? How do I solve their problems? How do I explain the things that they have questions about? What questions am I answering? And then instead of putting the emphasis there, they put all this emphasis on, I wrote something, now go buy this. Or I wrote something, now go opt into my email newsletter. And in reality, that that movement, that process becomes very easy if you just focus on what question am I answering and is this the best possible answer to this rel- this specific question? And if you get that right, then you subtly weave in these CTAs of like, I'm going to link to this other piece you might really like that we wrote. Or hey, we've written about this in other letters. Or hey, by the way, if you really like this idea, I wrote a whole email course about it. So that's that's what you're aiming for. Okay, I know we got four minutes left, Tim. I mean, we're just flying through, but I saw- keep going though, man. This is all going to be on YouTube. I just want to make sure that people do understand that. So let me take a real quick detour. Um, What Cole is talking about is just one- And by the way, guys, I'm really sorry for the spam in the chat. Um, I've been messaging Zoom a little bit. They told me some stuff I got to do, but I got to do it afterwards. So I appreciate y'all dealing with me. Um, I told y'all that Cole was an expert. He's a pro at this. And this presentation is just one small part of an entire cohort that he puts together called Ship 30 for 30. If you belong to Twitter, I'm sure that you guys see uh, the Ship 30 for 30 exercises popping up every single day, nonstop, to the point where it's, 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 it's ridiculous. It's, it's getting to be um, all over. And so what I want to do is as part of this presentation, we are giving $20 off Cole's uh, cohort. Um, it is, I'm going to put a link in the chat in just one minute. Um, I highly, highly recommend you guys at least go through this product, at least learn about what it's like to build a daily writing habit. I have a daily blog that I don't tell anybody about. Um, people find it and they find it on their own and they subscribe, but I've been writing daily for six or seven years now. And even though nobody reads it, the practice of writing every single day is what keeps my knives sharp, so to speak. Um, and Ship 30 for 30 is all about building in these uh, techniques, these strategies, these actual uh, very clear articulations on the skill of online writing and practicing it every day. So if you're interested in the cohort, I'm going to put a link in the chat. You're going to get a $20 discount if you sign up with this link. Um, and then I'll send it again at the end of the chat and on the newsletter. So um, so thank you so much for the interruption, Cole. And and continue on, man. Take as much time as you need. Boom. That that's actually everything that I wanted to cover in that. But I see some questions here, so I want to I want to just go through and answer some. Um, so one, uh, yeah, Tim, if you have a way, I'm happy to share this presentation for download if anyone wants to grab it. Um, uh, just send me the slides. Yeah, cool. We can do that. Um. So yeah, I mean, like I said, everyone, this, what we just did, this is what an office hours is like in Ship 30 for 30. We do these every Saturday. Um, we also have, after you do the writing challenge for 30 days, we have a membership program too, where we're constantly releasing new things like this. How do you execute this? How do you do this? So if you're, if you're interested in that, uh, I can't recommend it enough. It's a ton of fun. I love doing this stuff. Um, so here's some interesting questions. Uh, Claudia, I've, I've written a hundred plus blog posts and didn't consider these. Should I go back and fix them or start anew? That's a great question. I'm a personal, I'm a big believer personally in keep making new things. 
Uh, if I look back, my first handful of Quora answers, I mean, <laughs> ooh, there's some rough ones in there, you know? So I don't, I don't, I, I, I just let it be where it was, right? Like that's what you made at that time. That's totally cool. Just keep creating new things. And I think that removes this pressure of feeling like you need to go back and make things perfect because we all have that. Just keep creating new things. Um, Pat, what about essays and opinion pieces rather than service pieces? These rules of thumb are universal. They are universal. You'll notice it with op-eds. You'll notice it with short stories. You'll notice it with fiction even. Curiosity gap, universal in headlines. Rate of revelation. You know, if you read an op-ed, you could read an op-ed from the president. And if there's no rate of revelation, if they're just reinforcing old ideas over and over again, you're going to go, I'm really bored. I'm out. So all of these things hold true. It's just about applying it to whatever format or style of writing that you know you do most often. Uh, Steven, are headline analyzer sites accurate with their scores? Um, so I'll be honest, I don't use those tools. Uh, the reason why I love digging into stuff like this, if you find a tool that you really like or if that gives you a good jumping off point, use it. You know, There's nothing wrong with it. But the reason that I like explaining these things is because the problem with tools is they're they're focused on giving you the answer, right? So you never actually learn why is this working. And for me, you know, I, I'm a practitioner of my craft. I want to master my craft, as should all of you. So you want to learn what is it that makes a great headline. So that way, when you ever do use tools and they give you a suggestion or whatever, you can sit there and discern for yourself: is this right or isn't this right? Is this a is this a good headline? Isn't this a good headline? So I really like digging into the actual, the how-to of it. Why is it working? And then you apply it the way that you best see fit. Teach a man to fish, you know, don't just give him a fish. Um, thanks, Jim. Appreciate you being here. Uh, Brian, should you always name the audience if there might be more than one group that can benefit? So naming the audience is really great for niche content. So if I'm, you know, if I'm focused on writing things to educate other writers, you know, it I'm incentivized to name and say, hey, this is for writers, this is for online writers, this is whatever. So naming the audience definitely changes the audience because it's changing who it's relevant to. The times when you don't want to or don't need to name the audience, honestly, is really only if what you're writing is you're trying to make it a home run. You're you're really trying to go, I'm trying to write something that's going to get 10 million views. And if that's the case, which everyone thinks that's their goal, but it's really not. Most of the time, people think that's what they're aiming for. And what they're actually aiming for is how do I write something that's relevant to my niche? So if that is actually your goal, you need to remember a couple of things. One, yeah, you don't need to name the audience specifically. But two, you need to be answering a really big question. You need to be, ta- you need to be tackling one of those big universal questions in a way that is different. And so the, the flaw is people thinking, I want to write a home run, but I actually don't really want to write a home run. And so then what am I actually writing? And nine times out of 10, you're better off just focusing on your niche and going, I just want to get this right. Um, How do you measure engagement? That's kind of a whole other topic. There's a bunch of stuff that you can look at. But for the most part, the data that I look at very high level is just views, likes, comments, shares. How, How are things going? And I'll tell you the biggest takeaway is broad topics get more views and less engagement. Niche topics get less views and more engagement. And this is where people think like, I want both. But the reality is that 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 is the difference. And so 
you might think, oh, I want something with a million views, but I've done, I've written dozens and dozens and dozens of things with a million plus views. And it really does not change very much in your life. It, it, it doesn't, it's cool. You can be like, I wrote something that went viral, but it really doesn't have a big impact on whatever it is that you're doing, your business, whatever audience you're building, whatever the goal is. In reality, building a super specific niche library is what's going to move the needle way more. And in order to do that, you do not need a huge following. You don't need to write things with millions of views, whatever. A lot of it is vanity metrics. Google's last content quality update, uh, SEO stuff. Okay, let me, this is an, again, another topic. If you love this stuff, come just sign up for Ship30. We do this every Saturday. But SEO is only relevant if your site is a business. Period. And that's what people don't, this is, this is like the biggest misunderstanding for writers on the internet is that the vast majority of writers are not, they're not entrepreneurs yet. And so the thing is, if you just want people to read your writing, Google as your primary distribution outlet is like the least effective thing you could possibly do because no one knows your site exists. You're going to be he heavily relevant on optimizing SEO, which most writers are not SEO writers. They don't have that expertise. They don't want to. They just want to write. They want to write what they want to write about. And so if you approach it that way, you're locking yourself into this game where you're basically saying, I'm going to forego all of the other largest ecosystems on, on the internet. I'm not going to use Quora and the fact that they distribute my writing to all relevant readers, hundreds and hundreds of millions of relevant readers there, or Medium, or Twitter, or whatever it is. You have these huge ecosystems. So people go, how much should I care about SEO? I want to have my own site. When literally these other sites are built, their entire purpose is to, is to distribute your content to relevant readers, period. And so if you're not taking advantage of that, then that must mean that you your primary skill set is SEO, which 99% of writers it's not. And two is that your site is a business. And for most writers, you're not starting there. So the only time that having a site or a blog or SEO or whatever comes into play is once you've started writing online, once you've started gathering data, once you've confirmed what topics work and which ones don't, once you've, once you've overcome your own assumptions of what you think readers want versus what you learn through data readers want, you go through that whole learning process and then you go, hey, I think that there's a great opportunity for me to build a niche content, whatever business in this area. Now I'm going to go build a site. Now I'm going to go build a business. But until you get to that point, which is, does not happen usually in the first year, if it does, you're on the fast track, nice job, but there's no need. So this whole argument, if anyone here follows a lot of my other content, like this is one of my biggest pet peeves and I have a huge issue with it is that I'm not saying that SEO is bad. I'm saying that it's not relevant for where you're starting from and what your goals are for the immediate to short-term, medium-term. Long-term, sure. Get into it. Whatever. I think that's about it. How did I start my content writing journey? I started writing on the... I grew up on the internet. I was just fascinated by this stuff. Just experimenting. But, um, man, I think... Uh, what's my p favorite pizza topping? I am actually... I am allergic to gluten and dairy and soy. I have a bunch of food allergies. So, uh, I love pepperoni. If it's off the pizza, I'll just eat the pepperoni. <laughs> sucks. Yeah, I know. 
Um, man, you want to keep going through questions or how, how, how long you want to oh, go we for? We can stop at any time. Um, I want to finish off with probably five to 10 minutes of things that I really learned about this. Take I, it away, man. Take it I, away. I appreciate your context a whole lot. Um, I get the feeling, although I don't know if this is true, you and I are probably both admirers of, of David Aglovy. Um, his insight on 80% of your time should be spent on the headline and 20% of your time should be spent on the content. And the only thing the content is doing is answering the question of the headline. Uh, <laughs> I, much like you, spend a lot of time writing things and then stepping back and realizing that half of the stuff I write was just filling some um, habit or some even like angst or anxiety that like I was just trying to figure out in my head. And eventually along the way, I stopped paying attention to the reader. And so when I keep that exercise in my mind, the headline is nothing but a promise I'm making to the reader. The content is nothing but me fulfilling the promise to the reader, at least from an online like attention seeking uh, platform, so to speak. You know, like if I'm journaling, this doesn't always count because there's a place for that. And I think everybody has the, the freedom to do all that. Um, yeah, David Agilvy, Mary, he's probably the most, um, I guess you could call him like a superstar copywriter, basically. He, well, he was, yeah, he was from the Mad Men era. He was a big, sure. big uh, advertising guy. And yeah. Um, a lot of the sales copywriters too. Have you gotten into like Gary Halbert's work at all? No, not so much. Oh man, you'd love his stuff. I'm going to put that in the show notes. Um, and so, yeah, I, I really loved that. Also, a great tip is the hero's journey. It is so simple once you learn that mental model we say about the hero's journey. We're like every movie that you ever watch, every good article that you read from the beginning to the end, every book basically harry potter star wars the avengers it doesn't matter what it is like the articles that i write they all follow this this same exact uh arc this um this archetypical framework about starting in a place some big problem happens some call to adventure some uh big evil villain some basically like conquering your inner fear by defeating the villain and then sort of ending up right back where you started and realizing that it was what you wanted the whole time. Um, so this like uh, really beautiful arc will help you a lot if you understand the hero's journey. So um, so I, I love that point as well. And then also, we got a lot of SEO questions. Um, you nailed it, man. I never heard about that. It, I never thought of it that way. If your website is a business, then SEO matters. In most scenarios it's not going to be and the, I, I think the best way to think about intent is or excuse me about seo is it's flipping the intent so if you're worrying about seo you're writing for an intent that you already know exists because someone's going to google to answer a question so the very nature of the question that they're asking tells you the intent that they have if you're writing for a reader it's almost exactly the opposite like you are presenting the lesson to them. You are presenting the intention for them uh, to learn, just like in that curiosity gap, like you are presenting the what and then the outcome to them. Uh, so, you know, tr although it's a little bit like we're talking about semantics here, if you're SEOing something, understand that you are matching your content to an intent that already exists. If you're writing for, uh, let's just call it 
creativity or just internet writing for shares and views and, and spreading your message more or less, you have an intent that you are bringing forth to an audience. So um, that and, helps me a lot. And too, I would just also add like, it also implies that you have something to sell. Sure. Because you know, otherwise then like, why are you approaching it that way? And and that isn't, that's the other irony is that I always share with people, you walk into the game of online writing thinking you know what people want to hear about from you. And it's not until you start writing and you start gathering data and you start going through all the motions that you learn, hey, what I thought was actually incorrect. So you kind of have to learn that before then you go, okay, and now I'm going to create a product, create a service or whatever. So there's this whole learning process that everyone wants to skip and they just want to go, I want to create my site and then like I've got a service and I'm done. Mm-hmm. And and they think that what I'm talking about is the longer road and it's actually the shortcut. That's like the irony of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed. And then I'm, all right, so let's finish with this. I saw Kathleen ask this question before. Could you please explain what role the subtitle versus the title since you helped us so much with the title? Um, uh, Cole's going to send me his slides. There was a really great slide that showed that. But basically, if you look at the way the book covers are phrased these days, where the example was Atomic Habits, um, the cover is always the front end of the hero's journey. And then the subtitle is the outcome of it. So an example for me, since I'm an SEO, I would say um, simplified SEO, right? So that's the front end of it. That, that got your attention. That's the, the problem I'm trying to solve more or less. And then the subtitle would be the outcome. So it'd be to how to increase your, how to 10 extra traffic in 10 minutes a day, something like that. Um, very rudimentary example, but a, a good way to frame it is that the title is like the front end of that gap. And then the subtitle is the back end, it's the outcome. And by the way, you can use that same model. That's exactly correct, by the way, um, is you can use that with your headlines in online writing as well. Like you could literally write an article called simplified SEO colon how to triple your traffic in 30 days or less. Like you can use that format. And so that's, it doesn't really matter, you know, if you have something here in the A part and then the B part, and if it's separated by a colon or whatever it is, it's just, you just need to have both and where writers fall is they have one or the other. Yeah, man. Um, Cole, thank you. I learned so much from this. Unfortunately, I've been doing this long enough where that that doesn't happen all the time. Um, This was very, very educational for me. I'm going to put one more time. uh, We got a bunch of people that signed off. But if you're still having doubts, man, I'm telling you, um, the the people that participate in Ship 30 for 30, they have a blast. They're always chatting online about it. They're always sharing each other's work. They're always doing these cohorts. Um, it's It's a killer program. The link that I showed you is for the April, May registration. Um, we're going to have the slides for you. This is not going to be a part of Copyblogger Pro. This is free for everybody. So this is going to go out to the newsletter on Friday. Uh, the video is going to be uploaded to YouTube. If you have any other questions, you can reach out to me directly at help at copyblogger.com. Um, and then we'll do two more things here because I know people were asking for your Twitter. Um, do me a favor, Cole, put your Twitter in there and then... And you can follow me on Twitter right there. Cole's got his link coming up. Boom. Man, appreciate it. Next time I'm in LA, we'll definitely get together. We'll hang out, (laughs) grab some coffee. (laughs) 
for sure. I love doing stuff like this. So, M, please, anyone here who came and had a blast, I'm, I'm very active on Twitter. Feel free. Tweet me anytime with questions. Come join Ship30. Um, I just, I had a hard road. I didn't have anybody who sat there and said, here's the answers. You know, this, this was 10 years of figuring it out on my own. So, I'm, I'm a really big fan of paying it forward and sharing it with other people. Likewise, my friend. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your attention. We'll talk soon. Take it easy.